So if you've ever been to a wedding, you know it only takes the slightest touch, you know, an absent photographer or a too honest host, uh, toast from the best man, or a crazy uncle excluded from the guest list, or a grouchy grandmother, or a bridezilla, or a, a groomzilla to make it go haywire. The most elegant and cultured and spiritual event can turn upside down in a matter of seconds. Here's what I mean. Username BeachBabe808Love writes, A few years ago, my cousin got married, and the stepsister of the groom, who wasn't asked to be a bridesmaid, turned up on the day of in a floor-length gown, almost the exact same color as the real bridesmaid dresses. She added to it an enormous feathered hat to a fairly small, casual daytime ceremony and proceeded to wipe her armpits in the middle of the vows with deodorant wipes in the front row in full view of the wedding video being filmed. Ben Affleck is an okay actor, posts. Big wedding, about 500 people, all the brides doing. She wanted the huge $70,000 wedding. I was a groomsman. Pre-wedding, the groom is nervous as H-E double hockey sticks. All these people, you know, it has to be perfect. This is her dream wedding, yada, yada, yada. So at some point, the whiskey gets pulled out. It went from a calm the nerves few shots to a he's just about finished the bottle. We give him water, get him in the shower and redressed. It's go time. Midway through her vows, he spews all down the front of her dress. It was horrible. But they're going on eight years strong. According to Callie Baby underscore Pookie Bear 4459069, I caught on fire at my own wedding. We were walking the tables greeting our guests, and my dress grazed a candle. One of the groomsmen was walking by and screamed, This girl is on fire! So my husband, a few guests, and the observant groomsmen were all slapping at the back of my dress to put me out. After they put out the fire on my dress, my sister whipped out garment tape and rearranged the back of my skirt so that none of the melted black tulle was visible, and we kept on celebrating. And lastly, from username Shaquille Oatmeal, went to a coworker's wedding. The groom had planned to sing a song to his new wife and have fireworks launch as he was singing the last note. Well... The last note came, but the fireworks did not. He held that last note out for a good 10 seconds longer before he finally yelled, fill in the blank, and threw the mic down and ran to go fight the fireworks guy. No fists were thrown, but somebody did end up in the lake. The party kind of broke up after that. Now, while it, it might not seem all that big of a deal compared to deodorant wipes and wedding dresses ablaze and near fistfights, the Gospel of John records what might be one of the biggest wedding fails of the ancient world. 
And it just so happens that Jesus is at the middle of it. He's not far from where he grew up. It's only eight miles away. The view of Cana, though, is marked by the greens and the browns of shrubs and soil. White limestone cuts up from the earth. The vast blue of the open sky fades to a burgundy wine, to a charcoal black, to a canary yellow, as the wedding festivities stretch out for days, even up to a week. There must be the sound of jubilation, tambourines and stringed instruments resounding from the rural village, for the miracle of two becoming one has occurred. Perhaps today we've lost sight of the miracle of weddings, the miracle of two becoming one. Instead, we, we focus so intently on producing it to look like Pinterest. Centerpieces, props, decor, flowers, cakes, balloons, ice sculptures, guest books, reclaimed wood, anything. And we doctor the photos. You know, we trash the ones where we've got food in our teeth and looked half-baked. And we add filters to do away with the beauty of wrinkles and markers of time. And you might be like, man, like, what did weddings ever do to you? Like, don't you have two daughters? Yes, ages two and five months. And they've always dreamed of becoming nuns. <laughs> but here's my bone to pick. When it comes to weddings, we are sure well in advance to book the DJ, the caterer, the photographer, the videographer, the wedding planner, the day of coordinator, the officiant, because like why in the world would a pastor be good enough to do it anymore? But the bartender is essential, so is the makeup artist, the hairdresser, the florist, the MC, the servers, the ushers, the parking tenant, the baker, the chauffeur, and it feels like somebody forgot to add Jesus to the guest list. To me, I guess the miracle of two becoming one feels a little less miraculous and more Pinterest. But not this wedding in Cana. Just yesterday, Jesus invited Philip and Nathanael to become his disciples. And John chapter 2 says, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. According to username Reese Witherfork, the wedding celebration was in a huge room with five small tables with cheap dollar store plastic tablecloths and nothing else on them. The only food was a tiny sheet cake that could maybe feed 50 people. And on a long banquet table, they had one bowl of tuna fish salad that had been sitting out for hours with one small back box of crackers. Nothing to drink, nothing to eat, no plates or forks or cups, and no one to cut the cake. I ended up doing it, but the bride did look good in her dress, and she was happy. Sure, the, the tuna fish wedding, it might work in 2022, minimalist, low-key, simple, yeah, but that, that doesn't fly in the ancient Near East, where weddings typically stretch out for days, even into a week. The whole town is invited. It would be an insult not to come 
to refuse the invitation. There's nothing minimal or low-key or simple about it. And so, like, you're telling me here in John chapter 2, the wine ran out? Woo! Dear Lord! Get this, though. The failure is on the host. Not the father of the bride in this culture, but the groom. First Century Catering 101, failing to provide adequately for guests brings social disgrace. In the close-knit community of Cana, such an error would never be forgotten and would haunt the newly married couple all their lives. The loss would not only mean shame and social disgrace, but also financial repercussions since the groom had a legal responsibility in that culture to provide a suitable feast for their guests. The groom would stand to lose financially up to about half the value of the gifts that Jesus and the party have brought. So take back the blender, Jehoshaphat. We're returning the pots and pans so as to avoid disgrace. So the wedding celebration, it gets off to a disastrous start when they run out of wine. It could have been horribly embarrassing for the couple and their family. A lifetime of shame in that culture that values hospitality. It's a good thing the couple invited Jesus to their wedding. Good thing Jesus is on the guest list. Verse 3 says, The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. What's up with Mary here? What was she getting at? I mean, is Jesus at home multiplying milk and fruit loops? What, what is she after? Maybe, maybe she's asking her son to solve the problem. Like, yeah, go, go find some wine. Go down to Total Wines or BevMo and pick something up. Or maybe there's something more to her words here. Maybe something related to miracles and her son Jesus. Maybe what's true of God is true of Jesus. Our memory verse, Jeremiah 32, 27. I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Maybe Jesus is like, Mom, Wine is the last thing that these people need. They're sloshed as it is. According to Kawabunga Chick 889, the worst guest at my wedding was my stepbrother, who from least to worst left after an hour. Turns out the restaurant owner actually kicked him out because he was stealing wine from behind the bar. It was unlimited alcohol, and he's a police officer who knows serving laws. And then he tried to invite a homeless stranger into my 40-person reception. But like, what would Jesus do? No offense, if you're homeless, Jesus would definitely invite you in. Well, here in Cana, he's saying, that's not our problem. My time or hour has not yet come. Now, time is a major theme in the Gospel of John. It's a marker that expresses the movement to Jesus' passion, the events of his suffering and death and resurrection. Take, for instance, before he's betrayed and arrested, Jesus says in John 17, Father, the hour has come. 
The hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. But we're we're not there yet. We're only in the second chapter of the Gospel of John. And we're just starting things out. Jesus' answer to his mother, it's difficult to understand. And you know, maybe that's the point. Maybe Mary didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Maybe she didn't understand what Jesus was saying, but she trusted him to do what was right. See any connections? After all, verse 5 says, But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Pretty good advice for all servants of Jesus in all time. Do whatever he tells you. Verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. Okay, so this sounds crazy, right? Especially since Jesus has yet to chalk up any miracles in the Gospel of John. But it says the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. Pulls him away from his new bride. Buddy, 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 let me, let me talk to you. And I bet the groom is just sweating it. Like, oh, yeah, I know. I heard a rumor that, like, the wine ran out. I don't know if it was Uncle Boaz or Aunt Judith. I, I know it's super embarrassing. But the master of ceremonies shocks him with this praise. A host always serves the best wine first. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. And the groom says, nothing. He just takes it. He just takes the credit. All right, all right, all right. The wine is flowing. Closed bar is now open again. Verse 11, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. This miraculous sign, it tells us what type of guest Jesus is when he's invited not just to a wedding, but into a community. Jesus provides. And he provides here in three ways. But Jesus doesn't just provide, he provides abundantly. What was it? Six stone water jars, 20 to 30 gallons each. Conservative, that's 605 and a half bottles of wine. 50 cases. At the most, that's 908 and a half bottles of wine, 76 cases. And he he provides this to people who've already had a lot to drink. So what this tells us is that Jesus is wildly generous to this newlywed couple from Cana. And it's totally consistent with, with what we've seen from God throughout the whole entire Bible. God provides abundantly, and he continues to do so even today. Sometimes a provision, it involves material or physical things, blessings, but often it doesn't. Yet Jesus still blesses us relationally, emotionally, spiritually, as we invite him into every aspect of our lives and our community. Jesus provides abundantly. 
Secondly, Jesus provides excellently. The Jesus juice is a great vintage. It makes the wine that they served at the start seem like two-buck chuck. Jesus shows up as a guest, and then suddenly, Jesus becomes the host. And as such a host, Jesus isn't cheap. He's extravagant. He could have produced some like mediocre wine, vinegar, but no, he provides excellently. You have kept the best until now, says the master of ceremonies. And of course, on an intertextual theological level, this relates to Jesus himself functioning as the wine, as the best kept until now. Before there were patriarchs and matriarchs and the prophets, now there is God's son. Yet this story, you see, is, is layered and deep and full of mystery and intrigue, but it tells us that Jesus provides excellently. And third, Jesus provides unexpectedly. From John's gospel, we're familiar with Jesus as the word becomes flesh, as the good shepherd, as the way, the truth, and the life. But we're maybe not so familiar with Jesus, the great liquor provider. There might be a lot of images that come to mind when we think of Jesus, but we probably don't think of Jesus bringing massive quantities of alcohol to a party. Jesus' wedding gift is not only abundant and excellent, but it's also unexpected. Sidebar, I should probably point out that Ephesians 5.17 says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be drunk with wine or IPAs or Kentucky-style bourbon or gin and tonics or White Claws because that will ruin your life. Don't be drunk because that will ruin your life life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. However, Ecclesiastes 9, 7 says, so go ahead, eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart for God approves of this. So is alcohol the devil? Or is it okay in moderation? I mean, some people are allergic to it, right? They break out in handcuffs, while others... That's, that's the joke you laugh at? Oh my gosh. You guys have been a tough crowd until now, finally. There's a pulse. Some people break out in handcuffs, while others can drink responsibly. Uh, so what, what do we do? Like, do we drink? To drink or not to drink? That is the question. Well, I think Paul actually says it's best in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then catch this. Do not cause anyone to stumble. Mm. 
whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. But, but the story, you know, it's not so much about alcohol. I know we've talked a lot about wine and White Claws and IPAs and Kentucky-style bourbon and all that, but it, it's not so much about alcohol. I, yeah, I get it. Jesus brought a lot of wine to a, to a wedding, but it's not so much about alcohol. It's about Jesus. And get this, don't, 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 not off now. (laughs) In this wedding feast, Jesus is all in all. First of all, he's invited in, he's on the guest list, and then suddenly Jesus becomes, in a sense, the bridegroom, the host responsible to provide and becomes the reason for celebrating and rejoicing. Jesus is the one who makes the wedding feast possible and necessary. Jesus is the six jars of water for purification for us so that the Holy Spirit empowers us, uniting us to the Father. Jesus is the new wine, the best wine that was saved for the people to drink at the end. Why? Because he drank the vinegar and suffering of the cross. Jesus is the wedding, the marriage, the new covenant that unites God and humanity together for eternity. Jesus is all in all. You see, it's not so much about alcohol. It's about Jesus. It's not about Pinterest. It's about the miraculous. It's a story about Jesus providing abundantly, excellently, and unexpectedly. It's a story that is full of mystery and intrigue. If you've ever been to a wedding, you know it only takes the slightest touch to make it go haywire. It's kind of a lot like life. Maybe you've been to a wedding where the wedding planner is AWOL. No day of planner, no coordinator, so the pastor tries to step in. You're screwed. Or even worse, the bride or the groom or the future in-laws take over. Can't find the rings, the flower girl's having to melt down, the ring bearer wet his rental tuxedo, the chairs have yet to arrive, the best man won't shut up, the cake is sagging like a lava flow, it's 100 degrees, no shade, bridezilla is having second thoughts, and Uncle Ricky Bobby just took off his shirt. No wonder he's nicknamed the Persian rug. If you've ever been to a wedding, you know it only takes the slightest touch to make everything go haywire. It's kind of a lot like life. But when Jesus is on the guest list, when Jesus is invited in to become host, well, that changes everything because Jesus provides abundantly, excellently, and unexpectedly. When our, lo- when our, our lives, when they run haywire, like, like who is the host to set it right? It can't just be you in your wedding dress. It can't be you in your tuxedo. But I wonder, is Jesus the host of your wedding, of your marriage, your singleness, your life, your plans, your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations? For only Jesus can miraculously provide what we truly need. You know, our lives, when I come to think of it, our, our, our lives are like a, 
are like a wedding in the ancient Near East that has run out of wine. That's what our lives look like, empty and lacking and even sometimes embarrassing. We stand on the verge of collapse, shame, disgrace, and calamity. There are no solutions that can save us, no workaround options, no loopholes. There is nothing to be done. That is, unless Jesus is on your guest list, unless Jesus is invited in completely to become host entirely. And I'm sure that today you might be needing Jesus here to provide. The truth is, he already has eternally. But, but will you make him host of your life, the one in charge? It requires a daily surrender, a dying to self, giving up of control. And in doing so, you will see that you can trust Jesus to show up and provide abundantly, excellently, and unexpectedly. He traveled the world uh, while serving in the United States Air Force as a gunner in a B-29 bomber, the Super Fortress, and he eventually got stationed in Tucson, Arizona. It's there that he met her on an infamous blind date back in 1954. She knew how to use a, a military-style can opener on a can of beans, and it sealed the deal. A few weeks later, they were married. It's a few branches up the family tree, so I'm not sure if the wedding sparkled with centerpieces, props, decor, flowers, cakes, balloons, ice sculptures, guest books, or reclaimed wood anything. I'd say it probably didn't. Probably had more of the cheap dollar store plastic tuna fish salad box of crackers feel to it. He spent 33 years working for for Southern California Edison, all the, the late night call outs, working the LA area during the Watts riots, moving power lines from what's now the bottom of Lake Casitas. She was famous for her apple pies and every Christmas her honey ham and jello salad. They'd go hiking, camping, backpacking the Sierras, Mojave Desert, deep into Baja, toting all four kids along as well. He had ventured to South America, coming home with a blowgun and poison darts and mounted piranhas. He ate everything that the natives ate and received what was served, even malaria. Their oldest son died in 1980, a tragic rock climbing accident on El Capitan in Yosemite. He was 23. Friends would say their backyard was an adventure, a mini zoo. They had all kinds of animals, dogs, cats, chickens, snakes, lizards, even a donkey named Sally. Today, when you enter the backyard, there's a secret garden he had built for her enjoyment. It's there that they used to tend flowers and watch hummingbirds zip by on the patio, feed peanuts to bluebirds by hand. They actively serve their community through church, PTA, scouts, and campfire girls, or just by pulling in trash cans for neighbors or trimming their trees. But I think the glue that made everything stick through thick and thin for 65 years, they invited Jesus in. And Jesus provided abundantly, excellently, and unexpectedly. They were ordinary, extraordinary, 
unremarkable, remarkable people who somewhere along the way decided to invite Jesus in. I don't know if it was over a can of beans on a blind date or a tuna salad type of wedding. I don't know if it was when their son died or the the literal zoo of their house was out of control, but somewhere along the way, they decided to invite Jesus in. And Jesus showed up to provide abundantly, excellently, and unexpectedly. Sometimes it was material or physical, often it wasn't, yet Jesus still blessed them relationally, emotionally, and spiritually as they invited him into every aspect of their lives and community, and it's changed everything. And I think the story of your life, no matter how ordinary and unremarkable it may seem, I think the story of your life can be, become extraordinary and remarkable simply by inviting Jesus in. And, you know, you might be thinking, like, well, I already did. I did that, you know, way back when. Or I did that, you know, a couple weeks ago. Or whatever it may be. Or I'm thinking of doing it now. But maybe it's continually inviting him into the entire process, day in and day out. I want you to just take a moment to pause and consider. Where is Jesus providing abundantly in my life? In our community? How is Jesus providing excellently? In what ways is Jesus providing unexpectedly? And then maybe consider, where where can I, through Jesus, provide abundantly to those in my community and world? How can I provide excellently? In what ways can I provide even unexpectedly? You know, uh, you can't get much lower than running out of wine at a wedding in the ancient world. But it turns out you actually can. According to Nacho Cheese Flavor 007, went to a wedding which I had to travel for. The bride is a friend of mine from way back. Anyway, the wedding was a little strange. You could tell they spent money on certain things and did not at all for other things. For instance, the hors d'oeuvres out of this world, but the decor, Think Great Gatsby meets Bozo the Clown. Now, I don't care if there's a buffet instead of a plated dinner, like, woo, seconds. And I love tacos. Amen? Amen. (laughs) A year or two before, I went to a different wedding where there was a, a dinner with a taco buffet, and it was to die for. Well, we saw a lady directing people to get up, you know, table by table. We waited and waited and we waited so did the table next to us and then after generations had passed lady directing people to get up was no longer directing people to get up so we got up to the buffet on our own all the taco meat was gone 
no pollo, no carnitas, no carne asada, no pastor, no tripas, no cabeza, not even lengua. My friend asked one of the staff there about the food and they were able to scrounge up the meat they were going to throw to the band. <laughs> all in all, I ate a taco with rice inside of it because I didn't want the band to starve. Even more bizarre, we found out the father of the bride knew they had run out of food, but he didn't do a thing. Somebody forgot to add Jesus to the guest list. 